Welcome to Sunday Sermons from the Williamsburg Community Chapel, brought to you by the Chapel Podcast Network. Let's grab our Bibles. We're going to be in two books today. First, the book of Ezekiel, chapter 37, verses 1 through 14, and the book of Acts, chapter 3, verses 18 through 21. And I'll read the Acts verses for us now as we prepare to hear from Travis Simone as he kicks off our new annual focus titled Restoration. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that as Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. In 587 BC, Babylon attacks Jerusalem. You can read the story in 2 Kings chapter 25. The Babylonians build siege works all around the city. Siege works were these mounds of, of sand, of dirt that were built up so that an invading army could 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 eventually go use them as a ramp over the walls into the city. And as Dale said, for 30 months, Babylon is is building the siege works, preparing to enter the city. Eventually, Babylon cuts off the supplies of Israel. No food is in the city. The people are starving. And Babylon makes a breach in the wall. They begin streaming, the Babylonian army begins streaming into the city of Jerusalem. And the king of Judah flees with his sons. He runs away. He thinks, I must protect the throne of David. He takes his sons and he he tries to escape. The Babylonian army chases him down. They find him on the plains of Jericho. They bring him back before the king of Babylon. And 2 Kings 25 says that there the king of Babylon passed judgment on him. He sentenced him. And he kills each and every one of the sons of the king of Judah. And then the king of Babylon gouges out the king of Judah's eyes. The brutality, the loss. I don't want to linger too long on this, but we have to understand the devastation that took place. What's happening here is the king of Babylon is systematically snuffing out every heir to the throne of David before the king's eyes. He then gouges his eyes out So the last thing he sees is the death of his sons. The last thing he sees is the light of the kingdom of David going out. Then he carries the king of Judah into exile in Babylon. 
A puppet governor is installed. And eventually, the people of Judah may make one more valiant attempt to, to overthrow the puppet governor who, who's just parroting uh, you know, what Babylon wants them to do. The people rise up. And Babylon crushes the rebellion with such force that in 2 Kings 25, 26, we read, all the people, both small and great, and the captain's forces arose and went to Egypt, for they were afraid of the Babylonians. Do you catch the image here? The people arise. They go to Egypt. The exodus is reversed. It's a picture of the salvation of God's people moving backwards. It is a time of immense disruption and destruction. The books of the Bible that are written in response to these events then go on to tell the story of how God moves his people from disruption and destruction to restoration. It's a beautiful section of scripture telling the story of how God moves his people from times of disruption and destruction to restoration. In 2020, a global pandemic laid siege to our world. Collectively, we faced not only the difficulties of navigating daily life alongside a, a novel virus, but we faced political upheaval, increased racial tension. There was an economic meltdown and then there was a stock market rally due to government stimulus. Eventually, the government stimulus went so far that we struggle with high inflation. There were economic issues. There were unforeseen effects of rapid technological innovation. There is a new war in Europe Personally, many of us have faced increased struggles with mental health. We've lost loved ones. Our sense of community and security continues to be challenged. Carolyn read from the book of Ezekiel. Ezekiel is in Babylon and Ezekiel was taken in Babylon in, in an earlier crusade, an earlier semi-conquest, you might call it, of, of Babylon. A warning shot that if Judah doesn't behave and do what Babylon says, more is to come. Ezekiel's a priest living on the outskirts of Babylon. In chapter 33, verse 21, we, we read these words. In the 12th year... On the fifth day of the tenth month of our exile, a survivor from Jerusalem came to me and reported, the city has fallen. Everything that I just described to you from 2 Kings 25, Ezekiel is in Babylon. 
There's no news channels. There's no newspapers. The only way he finds out is one man escapes the destruction, scurries across the desert, finds Ezekiel, and then four words describe the disruption and destruction. The city has fallen, the man tells Ezekiel. What has fallen in your life? The past two years have been a time of immense disruption for us. What has fallen in your life? Just take a moment to take stock. Imagine Ezekiel getting this news. The city has fallen. I believe God is writing a new restoration story. And this year, through the lens of the restoration books of the Bible, we will ask and answer this question. How might God move us from disruption to restoration? How does God move his people out of these times of of immense upheaval and disruption and change and destruction? How does he restore things? We've seen him do it before. If we study it, might we just have eyes to see how he might do it again? As Rich said in the introduction to the offertory, um, we have not only a a book that will describe what we're going to be preaching through this year, but we have a a reading plan because it's it's not like you can read from just point A to point B in the Bible to, to, to get this theme. It's not organized chronologically like that. And so this reading plan will really help you get a sense of this unique section of Scripture. So how might God move us from disruption to restoration? It's an interesting place that we're starting the year. We're actually starting with Ezekiel, who is still in Exile. He lives by the Chabar Canal on the outskirts of Babylon. And yet God is still at work granting this man visions of what God is up to. And so here is the first answer to the question, how might God move us from disruption to restoration from Ezekiel 37? God sharpens our vision for restoration. It's the first thing he has to do to prepare his people to be restored. He must first sharpen their vision so they might see what God is up to. God sharpens our vision for restoration. And what he does in Ezekiel 37 is first, he sharpens Ezekiel and our vision for prevailing restoration. Prevailing restoration. Verse one. The hand of the Lord was on me and he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones. Ezekiel's in this valley filled with 
bones. It's like one of those dystopian science fiction movies. In fact, one of my favorites actually starts with human bones and a robot stepping on a human skull. Maybe they got the image from Ezekiel 37. It's a grotesque image. It's an unimaginable image, a valley just filled with the unburied bones of humanity. God then, if you look at verse 2, begins to walk Ezekiel around the valley. If it's not enough for Ezekiel just to, to see it, God moves him through these bones. And we learn two things about the bones. One, there were very many bones. I, I imagine Ezekiel just wading through the bones, almost as if they were ankle deep. The second thing we learn about the bones is they were very dry. These bones have been here a long time. These are not just slain soldiers who have been slain just moments ago, maybe with the hope of medicine to revive them. No, these bones have been baked in the sun. They're bleached white. Probably the closest thing that we have to really being able to consider this is the anniversary that we commemorate today when those towers fell. And imagine those first responders walking through the rubble of those towers knowing that they were human beings down there. It's a terrible scene. And what God is describing, what God is revealing to Ezekiel here is a superlatively hopeless situation. The valley represents the darkest of the dark places in our lives. As a priest, Ezekiel is not even allowed to come into contact with dead bodies. This would make him unclean, unable to fulfill his role as a priest. Ezekiel must be thinking, I'm not supposed to be here. We've all thought that at one point in our lives, walking through a painful moment. How did I get here? I shouldn't be here. Life's not supposed to be this way. Verse three. And he said to me, son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, oh Lord God, you know. This verse just shows the realism of God's word. Many people in our world just that don't read the Bible just imagine the Bible's kind of pie in the sky. People imagining everything's okay. People just trusting God no matter what. The Bible is much more real than that. The Bible tells it how it really is. The Bible tells the truth. 
that when God looks at Ezekiel and says, can these bones live? Ezekiel is not a man of faith in this moment. He tells God what he really thinks. Only you know the answer to that, God. I'm, I'm just exhausted here looking at the carnage. Only you know God. And Ezekiel, as Ezekiel surrenders to God in this moment, what God does is God sharpens Ezekiel's vision and he sharpens our vision for prevailing restoration. Look at verses four through six. And if you've been around the chapel for a while, you'll know one of the keys that I think uh, for Bible study is repetition. That the authors of scripture couldn't put things in bold. They didn't have italics. They couldn't do a control U and underline something. So they, they repeat things to catch our attention. Notice the repeated phrase in verses four through six. Then he said to me, prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, behold, I will cause breath to enter you and you shall live and I will lay sinews upon you and will cause flesh to come upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall live and you shall know that I am the Lord. It's repeated twice, the phrase, you shall live. There will be a prevailing restoration in the darkest of dark places. Look at verses seven through 10. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a sound and behold, a rattling. And the bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked and behold, there were sinews on them. And flesh had come upon them, and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain, that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into me, and they lived. God says, they shall live. And they lived. And they stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. See, God's restoration prevails even over dry bones. This is our Christian hope. That we do not hope for a, a disembodied life somewhere, someday, as, as, a, as an essential spirit or soul. No, the Christian hope is the resurrection of our bodies. Real and personal relationship with one another. And the God who created us. God's restoration prevails over dry bones. And God also sharpens our restoration for purposeful, excuse me, God also sharpens our vision for purposeful restoration. Purposeful 
restoration. There are two purposes of restoration that Ezekiel's vision reveals. Again, look for the repeated phrase. I'll read verses 6, 13, and 14. 6, 13, and 14. You shall live, and you shall know that I am the Lord. Verse 13. And you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people. Verse 14. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken, and I will do it, declares the Lord. The first purpose is you shall know the God of restoration. You shall know the Lord. You will know the God of restoration. You'll know him. This is why God restores his people. This is why God restores us, that we might know him. Many people think that the greatest mystery in the universe is does God exist? Does God exist? Philosophers search for the answer to that question. Scientists alike search for the answer to that question. I don't believe that's the greatest mystery in the universe. That the existence of God is made clear through the creation of this world. That the greatest mystery in the universe, in my opinion, my humble opinion, is not does God exist, but that God suffered. That's the greatest mystery in the universe. That as Jesus Christ endures the cross, is resurrected from the dead, as he appears to his followers, Thomas says, I won't believe unless I see the nail marks in his hands and his feet and the, and the mark of the spear that was thrust into his side. And it's interesting when Thomas says this initially, if you were just reading the story for the first time, you might think, well, Thomas, he, he, that may not be possible. He's resurrected from the dead. He has a glorified body. He is as we are all meant to be. Will there really be marks of suffering in Jesus' glorified body? And yet as Jesus enters the room, he shows Thomas the nail marks. He shows Thomas where the spear pierced his side. That in his glorified state, the signs of suffering are still there. And what this says to me is that there is something about our suffering, and this is the great mystery of the universe. There is something about our suffering that is connective to the very nature and heart of God, that as we suffer, we know him, the God who suffered. No other religion has this conception of God. It's 
Too hard to wrap your mind around. No other religion sees God in his glorified state with marks of human suffering. And yet somehow, as we suffer, somehow that makes the restoration all the greater. For it shows us that we know God. It reveals to us in the end that we know God all the more. That's why I said it's the greatest mystery in the universe. Not only shall you know the God of restoration, you shall participate in God's restoration project. You shall participate in God's restoration project. This is the the second purpose for restoration. Look at verse 10 of our passage. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. This word breath is the dominant word. If you really want to know what gets repeated throughout Ezekiel chapter 37, verses 1 through 14, it's this word breath but it can be difficult to see it in our English language because three different English words are represented by one Hebrew word, and the Hebrew word is the word ruah, ruah. And ruah in Hebrew means spirit, means breath, means wind. And that's why you see spirit, breath, wind, it's getting translated in different ways depending on the context, but this word is repeated 10 times. In these 14 verses. And what this word would do, especially for its original readers, is it would bring the original readers back to Genesis chapter 2. The Lord, then the Lord God formed the man of the dust from the ground and breathed, ruah, breathed into his nostrils the breath, the ruah of life. And the man became a living creature. It's bringing the reader back to this original creative act of God. And later we read that God placed the man, as he put the breath of life into him, God placed the man in the garden to work it and keep it. And what you see is that when God breathes his life into human beings, God breathes his life into human beings to do things in this world. That that whatever God wants to do in this world, he wants to do it through human beings. I love uh, a sermon that our associate pastor of groups, Dale South, gave a while back. He said, God has a mission, and God's mission has a church. That God has a mission, but what God wants to get done in this world, he wants to get it done through the people that he has breathed the breath of life into. This is why in Ezekiel, when the breath of life, excuse me, when, when, the, when the bones uh, stand up, what do they stand up as? They stand up as a great army. They stand up as a great army. They're ready to live out God's mission in the world. This is why I taught the other week that the forgiven forgive. The restored, restore. 
that as we are restored, we are restored to participate in God's restorative activity in this world. There are so many things I could highlight this morning, and um, there's only so much time in every worship service. Let me just say, I think that our Worship Buddies program is such a, a picture of God's restorative work in this world. And as Rich said, we want to expand that program. We have kids on waiting lists. If God's tugging at your heart, if, if you would like the restoration that's happened in your life to, to spill out and participate in God's restorative processes in this world, that would be a great place to serve. Because God's restoration has a purpose that you shall know the God of restoration and you shall participate in God's restoration project. And the final thing that God does, I'll say through Ezekiel for us, is God sharpens our vision for restoration that points forward. God sharpens our vision for restoration that points forward. There is a sign on Route 5 and on uh, Ironbound Road. This is the sign. And I bet many of you know where Richmond is. I bet many of you know where Williamsburg is. By a show of hands, does anyone know where Dunbar is? All right, yes, some old school friends here. Okay, I think I saw about five people in this room. I sometimes come out of my office at the end of the day on Friday and and Phyllis, who's worked at the chapel for decades, she'll be still sitting at her desk and I'll kind of give her a preview of of the sermon. Hey, here's what I'm thinking about. See what works, see what doesn't. And I showed Phyllis this picture. She said, I've never seen that sign before in my life. I said, Phyllis, you live in Indigo Park. I promise you drive past this sign every day of your life as you come to the chapel. She said, really? I said, where's Dunbar? I bet a lot of people that drive past that sign think, where's Dunbar? You can see me after the service if you want to know. Because <laughs> the point is, many people are driving past that sign, have no idea where it's pointing. In the same way, many people are driving right past Ezekiel 37, And they have no idea where Ezekiel 37 is pointing. Look at verses 11 and 12. Then he said to me, son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say our our bones are dried up. Our hope is lost. We are indeed cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, behold, I will open your graves And raise you from your graves, O my people, and I will bring you into the land of Israel. That people think Ezekiel 37 is pointing God's people back to the land of Israel. And in some sense it is. God's people are returned to the land. But when they return, they're disappointed by delays in the rebuilding process. They're frustrated by opposition to the restoration, both from outside and within the community expectations for new leaders go unfulfilled. Most sobering is their continued inability to live according to their renewed covenant with God. Their restoration is incomplete. It was incomplete because it was meant to be a signpost 
pointing forward to a greater restoration. Acts chapter 3, verse 21. Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets, like Ezekiel, long ago. Ezekiel, in this restoration, points forward to the greater restoration that we receive from Jesus Christ. And in verse 11, God's people say, we feel dried up. We feel that our hope is lost. We feel that we are cut off. That this is the condition of all of humanity. We have rebelled against God's life-giving commands. We have been exiled from our true home with God. The exile to Babylon is, is just the result of this bigger exile not just from the promised land, but the greater exile from the tree of life. This is why I don't, as a preacher, I don't even have to illustrate verse 11. I just have to say, we feel like we're dried up. We feel like we are cut off. We feel like we're, our, our hope is lost. And we all go, yeah, that's how I feel. That's it. Ezekiel nailed it. I have good news. In Isaiah 53, 8, we read that Jesus Christ, he was cut off. He was cut out of the land of the living. He was stricken for the people, for the transgressions of my people. Jesus Christ was cut off so we could be grafted in. On the cross, Jesus said, I thirst because he was dried up so we could be satisfied. Jesus Christ went into the grave to become dry bones, only to come out the other side with a resurrected body. No matter what city feels like it has fallen in your life, and though one day we will all face the ultimate Babylon, death itself, the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ is our bones will live. How sharp is your vision for that restoration? See, God once moved his people from disruption to restoration. God longs to move us from disruption to restoration. This year, may God sharpen our vision for prevailing purposeful, and a restoration that points us forward to Jesus Christ. Thank you for joining us today. Here at the Williamsburg Community Chapel, we are all about making disciples of Jesus Christ. So wherever you are on your spiritual journey, we are excited to help you connect to Christ and His community. Have a blessed day.